invest your money strictly in stocks and bonds? If so, it's time to change that. Welcome to Approach Investing Differently with me, Stephen Rosen from Hightower Bethesda. I've been advising clients for over 20 years on how to invest in alternative investments, and I'll explain why you should dedicate a percentage of your investable assets to hedge funds, private equity, and real estate in order to maximize returns and create a more efficient investment portfolio. Now, on to the show. Let's approach investing differently. That's the name of Stephen Rosen's podcast, and this is the first episode. I'm Patrice Sikora, and this time around, we will learn about Stephen from Stephen, which can make for a very interesting show. Stephen, welcome. Welcome. This is your podcast, man. Thank you very much. Oh, no problem. How'd you get into this business in the first place? Uh, in all candor, because that's the only world I like to live in, complete uh, luck. I had graduated from the University of Michigan. I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. I did have some interest in finance and business. A family friend of ours uh, happened to have been an advisor at a smaller firm out on Long Island where I lived. And after a a brief conversation with him, I, I kind of found what he did interesting. Went on some interviews at some firms in New York City. I wanted to be there. And as luck have it, I found the job, started working, Hmm. cold calling, 500 dials a day to kind of learn the business going back to 1994. And here we are 27 years later with a fortunately very successful business advising clients, you know, through all stages of their life. But now you've kind of honed your business here. What, what, who do you work with? What's your specialty? I'd say probably starting in about 1998, uh, after about four years in the business, I kind of took a step back to think about what I want to do, the value I want to add to clients and families, and completely change the approach of how I worked with them. And so we basically started back then advising clients on such things as financial planning and asset allocation. And those were not things that were very important to people during the dot-com era when all you needed to do was turn on CNBC in the morning and lo and behold, you find a couple of stocks to buy and they should be up 50% within an hour. That was something that I I felt was very important. I thought it was something we could do to add a lot of value uh, to people throughout their lives. And so we kind of took a different approach and, and fortunately, we found a good niche. Right now, we do service mostly high net worth individuals, a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, mainly because those are people who are taking a tremendous amount of risk on their own. And what we do is not very risky at all. What we generally try to do is have a motto, which is our clients are going to create their wealth. Our job is to protect and grow it. And so it's a little bit of a different philosophy than I think a lot of other people take. And I think it kind of suits our clients and their mentality, given what they generally do on a day-to-day basis. Now, you began to answer this question, but who is your ideal client? Our ideal client is somebody who has a long-term investment approach, wants value-added service and guidance, is open to new ideas, particularly in the alternative investment space, which is exactly what we're here to talk about, wants to do planning and generally has accumulated enough wealth where they can access the investments that we want them to access, where we can provide maximum value. And so if we're talking about dollars, generally speaking, most of our clients have net worths of $5 million and up, uh, investable assets of $2 million and up. 
And and that's, I think, a niche uh, that market that we've found wants value-added ideas and service. What kind of client education do you find yourself doing as it relates to alternatives? A lot of hand-holding. <laughs> Every relationship, we start off trying to get them to understand the why of the alternative investments. As we go through the podcasts, we will dive a little deeper into sort of the, the, the three different aspects that we use, which are hedge funds, private equity, and real estate. Mm-hmm. I will say that some require more education than others in the beginning. A lot of them still require some education along the way, at least for the first couple of years, because it's new. It's not something that clients have been doing for a very long time, if at all. Sometimes they might have some experience investing in real estate. Sometimes they might have provided some capital to a friend or a family member to invest in a business and, and have some you know, experience within the private equity world. So they've got a little bit of knowledge behind that. Generally speaking, the hedge funds are very, very new to people and getting them to understand why we utilize them and what to expect from an investment standpoint takes time. And it is not something where we generally talk to the clients once about it and they get it. It's normally an ongoing process for the first couple of years to get them to understand. Sometimes it can be a little bit quicker than others. That generally depends upon the market environments that we are in. For example, for hedge funds, one of the key benefits from our standpoint is downside protection. Well, if you only have a market that's going higher, it's very difficult for clients to understand that that process of downside protection. And so they may be only looking at it and say, well, why do I need these types of investments? Market's going higher. I should just own the market. But then all of a sudden, we come to the usual period of time where markets are down 20, mm-hmm. 30, 40%. And these investments are clearly designed to outperform the markets and protect capital and sometimes even make money in those environments. And all of a sudden, that education that we provided to them kicks in. <laughs> yes, yes. And they understand the why. And once they understand the why, and once they've been through a market cycle to understand how these work on the upside, how they work in a flat market, how they work on the downside, all of a sudden it kind of starts to come together. With an atmosphere with the market going up and up and up, do you get some clients that come in and say, oh, come on, Stephen, I, you know, I'm missing out here? No, because we've got plenty of investments that do participate with the market going higher. And truth of the matter is, is that over the last, I'd probably say five to 10 years, with interest rates being as low as they've been, a lot of our increase in allocation towards alternatives has really come from our fixed income portfolio. It's allowed us to own a little bit less equities in some components, but a lot of our overweight towards alternatives these days has actually come out of our fixed income portfolio. And so they're getting the market movement to the upside. But again, even in these great markets that we've had over the last 10 or 12 years, uh, since the global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, we've still had plenty of markets where we've had dramatic downfalls. I mean, let's rewind just to Q1 of 2020 during COVID. Markets were down anywhere between 20 and 5 and 45%. Well, you get a sense of what happens to your portfolio when that occurs. And you get a sense of what happens to your private equity and your real estate and your hedge funds during that time frame. 
we can rewind to the fourth quarter of 2018, where you had a similar experience where markets were down 15 or 20% in a very short period of time. Even though we've been in a very long-term bull market, within that bull market, you always have pullbacks. And pullbacks are never easy and they're never comfortable. But our whole thesis of utilizing the alternatives is to try to help people remain sane in those environments. If we can keep them thinking rationally rather than emotionally, what happens is we're able to approach those markets very differently. And again, fourth quarter of 2018, Q1 of 2020, our clients are generally more inclined to understand that this is an opportunity to add money to your equities rather than being in a position to sell. And it's because they're not overweight equities. Because let's remember, as I mentioned in the intro, you have three choices of investing. You have stocks, you have bonds, and you have alternatives. If you are someone who has no investment in alternative investments, outside of cash, which we all know earns zero, Mm -hmm. you have stocks and bonds. Well, if those are your two options and you look at bonds as a very low returning asset class right now, which they are and will be for the foreseeable future, then your choice is simply to just own more equities. Well, now all of a sudden, you find yourself way far out on the risk scale. You have markets that are very volatile, can drop 20 30% in a moment's notice. At some point in time, the market's not just going to snap back. At some point in time, we might see a 2000 to 2002 timeframe where markets are down for three years straight. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the future holds. So if you end up taking your money out of cash, you take your money out of fixed income and you only own equities, well, number one, your portfolio is going to get hammered when the market goes down. You're going to be very uncomfortable. And by the way, when that point in time comes where they don't snap back, investors are going to get really uncomfortable because now all of a sudden they've lost significant wealth and now it's not recovering. Everyone's sort of been channeled to think, that, hey, markets go down, but they're going to come right back up because that's what's gone on. There may be a period of time where that doesn't happen. And how are you going to handle that? So our thought process is have the alternatives, have some balance, have things that have the ability to make money in a down market, have things that have, to make, have, have, things that have an ability to make money in a flat market. When things are going great and the stock market's up 20, 30%, that's fantastic. We've got plenty of things that are going to work during that, that time frame. Our alternatives are going to work just fine during that time frame. We don't expect them to keep pace with the market. That's just not their design. But at the end of the day, they're going to get to the same spot as the market will with just a lot less volatility and a lot less stress. All right. A lot less uh, Pepsid there, huh? Or Tums. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right, right, Stephen, tell me who's on your team. What do they do? On our team, we have five advisors, including myself. The firm was started in 2012. There's three partners. There's myself, Jeff Leventhal, and Evan Nowak. And over the years, we've been able to grow. We brought on two new advisors over the last several years. Leah Jones, who happens to also be our director of financial planning, actually hosts her own podcasts on divorce planning, which everyone should try to take a look at and search Mm -hmm. for because she does a fantastic job there. And then Eric Rochelle, who joined us a little over two years ago, and he is another client advisor 
uh, and does a great job as well. And then we've got a large support staff that continues to grow. We have an an analyst who heads up our uh, investment committee. We've kind of built out a very robust team because we think that client service is really key. We're not generally worried about our investments. We know our investments are going to take care of themselves. From an equity standpoint, we do invest in index funds. So when the market goes up, we're going to go up. So we're not really worried about whether or not we're trying to outperform the market. So what we've generally found over time and and studies is that when people leave you, they leave you because of poor service, not because of returns. We've dedicated a lot of time, energy, and resources to our staff to make sure that they are as good as they get and that everybody feels the love. All right. Do you have any designations or advanced education you want to share? I am a certified fiduciary from that standpoint. And what that means just for those people who are out there is, and really at the end of the day, our firm's a fiduciary and has a fiduciary responsibility. And for those who are not familiar with the difference of a fiduciary, Fiduciaries are legally bound to put their clients first. Previously, when I was at Morgan Stanley and UBS prior, we were not fiduciaries. And fiduciaries, again, require that we put you first. At Morgan Stanley, at UBS, recommendations that we made had to be appropriate for you at the point in time that we made them. If your circumstances changed, we were relieved of any duty to make a change. We had a moral obligation to do it. And that's something that clearly, hopefully anybody with an advisor at those firms has one with a good moral compass and is always putting you first, but there's no legal responsibility for them to do that. As a fiduciary, we do have a legal responsibility to do that and make sure that we're putting our clients first. Also, I'm a SEPA and we actually have three SEPAs in the firm, myself, Jeff and Eric, and those are certified exit planning analysts. And what we really do is specialize in working with business owners to make sure that they can maximize the value of their business in an effort to help them eventually sell it. What that does is really help them to understand how to maximize profits, how they can maximize efficiencies, making sure maybe sometimes they have to invest in their company and build out a broader staff in order to prep themselves to be able to be sold. I can give you a great example of a client of mine who is just about finished selling his business for a very large sum of money. And he had tried doing this several years ago. And what happened was it was really him and his partner, and they were really the two people who were running the show. And for the amount of money they wanted to command and could command for their business, they needed to have a much larger infrastructure. They needed a, a CFO. They needed a CEO. They needed operations specialists. And so what they did is they went out and they hired people, took a step back themselves so that they weren't the only reasons why the business was successful. And at the end of the day, they came back to market and are now selling their business at a much higher multiple than they could have commanded several years ago when it was just them. Again, some of the value-added things that we can do for clients across the board. Many business owners don't understand it's a process. They, they wrap themselves up in their business. It is their life. It is their livelihood. But it's also their hugest asset. And then well, they turn around and think they can sell it right away. And as you're saying, that may not be the case. It is most businesses are not ready to be sold. Okay. The day you decide, hey, I want out, it's very rare 
that particularly on the small business side, it's very rare that those businesses are ready to be sold. And if they are sold, it's rare that they're probably going to get full value for it because they're they're not structurally sound for that purpose. Most business owners, and understandably so, are trying to maximize profits for themselves. And so sometimes they don't invest in the things that will help them get a better multiple mm-hmm. on that exit strategy. And sometimes it requires a little bit of a reality check when you do go to market to sell your business and all of a sudden find that what you thought it was worth isn't really worth it. But that doesn't mean you can't do things to enhance the value. And that's one of the, the, the obvious things that we can do and help clients understand that uh, with our personal resources, as well as relationships that we have outside. But again, also coming back to what we do and why we do it from an investment standpoint, you hit the nail on the head. Most business owners have a massive amount of their net worth tied up in their business. And that is where their heart and soul is, where their blood, sweat, and tears are, and very much so their money. When they entrust us to manage their money that's outside of it, how we do it is very, very important. And making sure that, again, coming back to our philosophy of protecting and growing it is very important. And again, this comes back to why do we use alternatives? Slow, steady wins the race. Well, my next question is going to be, what is your investment philosophy, which you've kind of touched on it in several of these questions. Can you maybe just put it together for us in a a little nugget? And if you can't, that's fine, too. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I think our investment philosophy is that there's a couple of pieces to it. Because I think we've got a couple of different pieces to our portfolio. On the equity standpoint, we believe markets are going to take care of themselves. They're going to go up, they're going to go down, but they're going to go up over time. We have long ago decided not to be too smart. We do not try to pick individual stocks ourselves, no matter how many times clients ask, can we buy this? Can we buy that? Can we buy this? Why don't we own this? Why don't we own that? We've removed ourselves from that conversation. We've looked over the years at some of the most successful portfolio managers out there and realized that their ability to outperform their markets net of taxes is very, very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what we've opted to do is take market returns with market risk because we don't need to control risk with our equity investments. Markets are very, very efficient. We're comfortable with that. On the fixed income side, we do believe in active management because fixed income markets are much, much larger than equity markets, and they're very inefficient. And it's it's also very inefficient to go out and purchase fixed income as an individual investor or even an advisor. You cannot get the economies of scale that institutional investors achieve with their size. We find you can be much more tactical the fixed income side by utilizing active managers. And we've seen value added over that really over long periods of time. Then it comes back to our alternatives, which is how do we hit singles and doubles all the time or as much as often as we can without losing money? That's really what our goal is. And from an alternative standpoint, if your average alternative can return 80% of the market and the market being equities, but do it with a third of the risk, we've achieved something. And history shows us that there's enough investments out there that we have access to that should be able to do that. All right, Stephen, when you are not working, what do you like to do for fun? So number one is play golf. 
Actually, I shouldn't say that. That's completely unfair. Number one is hang with my family. I have two children at present time. One is a sophomore at the University of Wisconsin. And my daughter is a junior in high school. When both kids were young, I loved nothing more than watching them play basketball, soccer, football, etc. My daughter still in high school does play basketball. So spending time going to her games is probably the first choice that I do. Traveling with my family, there's nothing better to do it. I don't care where we go, if the four of us are together, that's just nirvana as far as I'm concerned. It sounds like golf is falling further and further down. The you know, the truth of the matter is it is when you actually like, think about it, because you know what? I always say this, I'll have my knock on wood, my whole life to play golf. You only have a certain amount of time with your kids and, and also at a certain amount of time with your kids when they're sort of at that age where you're, they're somewhat, I won't say contemporaries, but they're adults and they're not children anymore. They still want to be with you and, and appreciate the experiences that you give them. Having that time, I can't ask for anything better than that. And then after that comes After that, golf. you don't know anything. You don't know after, anything. Yeah. After, after, after that comes golf. <laughs> <laughs> right. But traveling with, with, with my wife and children and spending time with them is always number one. If you had all the money in the world, what would you do? Oh, that one's easy. And, and actually, friends of mine who are close know the answer to that. I would teach tennis and golf. Interesting. Yeah. Those are my two passions. Always have been. Love being outside. Love being with people. Love teaching people, educating them. And those are my two passions from a sports standpoint. So if I can have all the money in the world and don't have to work, that's no doubt what I would be doing. Well, then what is your idea of success? Personal or professional? Both. Either or. Personal is, and it's going to sound corny, but seeing smiling faces on my wife and two children. As long as they're happy, I'm happy. On a business side, professional side, just seeing clients, and again, little corny, but seeing clients get to their end goal, which is in most cases, retirement and being able to do it successfully and knowing that we played a large part in it. That's it not is very, corny. That's not well, corny. <laughs> it's, I go through this all the time with clients. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Okay. And, and, and let's take a step back. Yes. Do we have clients with the 50 plus million dollar net worth and liquid net worth? Yes. And, and in general, do those people retire without a care in the world? Sure. I'm going to tell you that people with 15 and $20 million who are used to getting a paycheck of whatever they're supposed to do or whatever their income gets generated from their businesses, the second that income stream turns off and you're all of a sudden living off of your assets, mm -hmm. That is a very uncomfortable feeling for most people. And it doesn't matter how much money you have and how little or much you spend. It is just something that is uncomfortable for people. Having those conversations as they approach that time to try to get them comfortable and eventually get them to understand through all the detailed planning that Leah and her team do, getting them to become comfortable with how they're going to get their money, how they're going to live, and eventually getting them to the point in time a few years into retirement because it never, ever, ever happens right away. <laughs> Always takes a couple of years. I promise everyone who's listening, you're not alone. It takes a couple of years until you become comfortable living without an actual check coming in. But once they do and they're able to enjoy their lives, and I know that we played a major role in that, there's some professional success there. All right. 
do you have something that you say to yourself or to your family, to people, that you use to stay on track, to keep you focused? A mantra, a motto? I do. And up until COVID, it drove my wife crazy because <laughs> she's just not coded like this. We'll figure it out. I like it. I like it. Yeah. You don't have the answers to everything all the time. That's right. And we'll figure it out. Gives you the ability to step back, think about what the situation is and how you're going to handle it. Now, my wife is someone who has low levels of anxiety at the end of the day. We'll figure it out is not a very comforting thing <laughs> to people with anxiety. <laughs> it is not comfortable at all. But at the end of the day, through COVID, when you have no answers, you only have one thing to do, wait and see, which is essentially is we'll figure it out. That's true. Very, very true. And then just a few other little questions here. A little one like, what is your proudest achievement, Stephen? That's a good question. I'm going to come back to being corny. Okay. Having a very successful marriage over now the course of 23 years, 22 years, to happy and well-adjusted and happy kids. Again, that is not corny. That is fantastic. <laughs> and then we'll wrap it up with, you've got the attention of a lot of people here. Who should listen to your podcast? Anybody who is sick and tired of riding the waves of the market, stressing when things go down, are open to understanding that there's the proverbial third leg to the stool. Everyone lives in a world with stocks and bonds. I assure anyone who's listening, there's a third leg that will create a tremendous amount of stability to the stool that you sit on. And if you have an open mind and you want to learn, just listen. And I assure you, you will understand why We've been utilizing alternatives. No differently, by the way, and this is something that we actually even didn't even really hit on. The, the model that we follow is followed by institutions and foundations around the world. And this is something that drew us to this whole entire model. If you take a look at the Yale pensions and, and Michigan and Harvard and Dartmouth and all these major schools, they dedicate 30, 40, upwards of 50% to alternative investments. We've always felt that if it's good for them, why is it not good for our clients? I think the key is people need to understand how to access these things and that they can access these things. And they're not accessing tier two types of investments. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that they really should understand. And we'll hope to educate the people and get them comfortable. And then for those who are out there, you'll learn very quickly how to reach out to us and we can have a conversation. And I was just going to say, how can listeners reach you? So we always recommend the first thing that they do is go visit our website, which is HightowerBethesda.com. We have a tremendous amount of resources on there, information, blogs, podcasts, white papers, and you really can get a sense of who we are and what we do, what our philosophy is. And from there, it's simple. You can click on a link and we'll reach out to you from there. Outstanding. Stephen Rosen, the host of Approach Investing Differently. Follow or subscribe to this podcast to make sure you know when the latest show is available. And of course, share with colleagues and friends. You might impress somebody. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Approach Investing Differently. Don't forget to follow the podcast to be notified whenever a new episode is released.
Hightower LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA SIPC. This podcast was created for informational purposes only, and the opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.